What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Hey everybody, welcome to Movie Crush, Mini Crush, a dish. It's a lot of shishes in there. It's a susurus. Susurus. It's a new word I learned the other day. Shusherish? I'm probably not pronouncing it right. I think you're right. It's just S-H-S-H-E-S-H-S-H. I think the word I'm trying to say refers to just sort of a general shushy vibe. Yeah. How you doing? I'm doing really well, man. How are you? I'm great. So I'm Chuck. That's Noel. Uh, it is, it is morning again. We've kind of knocking these out in the morning. I'm digging it, man. It's a good way to start the day. Mm-hmm. I got my triple latte. I have no coffee cause I was running late. Do you want to go get coffee? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Do you really want to step out? Is that okay? Yeah. All go right. ahead. Right back. So I'll just talk while Noel's gone. Actually, you know what? Cause Noel's, no, I'll just, I'll just wait. You go. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Okay, through the magic of editing, Noel's back with coffee. <laughs> you opening your sugar? Yes, sir. <laughs> Couldn't waste any time. Actually, that was Noel's actually not opening sugar. That We had a Foley artist come in. We paid them big, big bucks for what you just heard. <laughs> all right, so we're going to start it off this week. Thanks for joining us, by the way, with a... Uh, Another Hollywood history. Hollywood history. Segment where I teach you all a bit of something. And we're going to talk this week about billing uh, and credits. And um, I went to a few different websites for this because I kind of knew a lot about it, but I wanted to get it right. And this is a loose overview. So if I get stuff wrong, then don't be too mad. But hopefully you'll learn a thing or two. So um, from the beginning of motion pictures, um, basically through about the twenties or thirties, there was an odd situation where, uh, Broadway was the big thing. 
And movie producers, I mean, they had an an iron grip on the system, uh, the studio system through the 1950s. And maybe I'll do one on the studio system at some point and the collapse of the studio system. That'd be pretty interesting. But uh, these moguls managed these studios and they didn't want to uh, they didn't want to bill actors at all early on because they were afraid of a few things. They were afraid uh, that they would want more money and they wanted to keep fees small. Um, sometimes the actors didn't want to be billed because at the time, believe it or not, uh, Broadway was the biggest deal and and um, going over to movies wasn't necessarily a, a, a step up. So so early on in movies, even people like Charlie Chapman, were not billed. So people literally did not know his name. Chaplin? Yeah. They didn't even you know his cha- name. You said Chapman. Charlie Chapman? No, Charlie yeah. Chaplin. Yep. But you said Chapman, I swear. No, well, we'll, we'll see. Okay. We'll, <laughs> we'll let the uh, the people decide. <laughs> All right, that's fair. But he, he was not billed, so people didn't know his name. He was the funny guy in those movies uh, because there weren't – Trade magazines at the time. Sure. There was obviously no internet in oh, the 1920s. Man. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? <laughs> but uh, so it's just weird to think about a day where people go see a movie and say, yeah, the short funny guy with the with the mustache. Uh, but of course, eventually they would start billing. Uh, and then during the studio system in the like 1930s, 40s, and 50s, on-screen billing was at the beginning of the movie. So if you ever watch those old films, it's all at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Do you think that came around because certain players just established themselves as being more prominent and, like, entertaining than others? And they had to, like, kind of rise above the fray and put their names out there and kind of give them a brand? Probably so. And and I think eventually actors uh, fought for it um, and continue to fight for it. Billing is such a contentious issue still. Like, people drop out of movies, even today. Not as much, but people will drop out of movies if there's a billing dispute. Like, why is my name not above this person's name? Or, you know, first. They call it above. Solve it all. Just make them in alphabetical order. That's what I say. Well, we're getting to that. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) So in the 1950s, uh, the studio system eventually would collapse and agents got involved. And this is when they really started to fight for billing as actors uh, and stuff like that. So since the 1960s, basically, um, a lot of the billing started moving to the closing credits instead of the opening credits. Or there would be a mix of the two, which you still see today. Sometimes you'll see uh, just the, you know, the writer, director, producer, and maybe the, the distributor and production company up front. Then everything else will be at the, at the end. Sure. By the 80s and 90s, it was almost exclusively at the end of the film. Uh, but there was a, a thing that would happen where, like in Ghostbusters and um, The Godfather, where it would just be a title. Like Ghostbusters would come up, and then it would start the movie. Like no writer, no director, no mm-hmm, anything. Mm-hmm. What would be your jam as a writer-director? Because I think you, you don't get both. I've always thought it's more powerful to end a movie on a big, you know, a big old full screen credit, a big moment, and then it cuts to black and then written and directed boom. by. Yeah, I'm kind I, of into that. You know what annoys me is when people say Noel Brown's Ghostbusters. I do not care for that. Well, that's that's a thing too. That's yeah. called a possessory credit. So if you've got enough clout, you can 
Um, it, it might say a Ridley Scott film at the beginning, yeah. or Ridley Scott's Blade Runner. I'm, I'm I'm okay. I'm more okay with a Ridley Scott film but <laughs> than Noel Brown's. Noel Brown's <laughs> Ghostbusters. Just no, thank you. So possessory credits are a thing. You got to have a lot of clout, and all this stuff is negotiated behind the scenes with agents and producers and production companies and and studios. Uh, top billing though has always been a matter of contention because, like in the 70s and 80s. No matter how big of a part you played, if you were the biggest name, you got top billing. So, like Marlon Brando is a great example. He got top billing in Superman, even though he had a very small part. Yeah, negligible, right? Yeah, he was at the, he was at the beginning. Yeah. He was he was pops. Wasn't he just a holo, like a head, like a floating hologram head? No, he, he had a he was oh, in the, okay. the very first Superman. He was, he was corporeal. Yeah, he, okay. <laughs> is that the, is that the word? Yeah. Um, uh, the Godfather, too. He got top billing in The Godfather, even though Al Pacino, by all accounts, you was probably the star of that film. And uh, actually in the Oscars that year, Pacino got a Best Supporting Actor nomination and, and Brando's was Best Actor, which I know was a bone of contention. I'm sure. I bet Brando was a pill in negotiations, though. Yeah, I bet he was either a pill or just didn't give a shit. It was one or the other. That's fair. He just wanted to, <laughs> he just wanted to watch the world burn. He just wanted to see what could happen. I don't know. Uh, and then there is, uh, if you're not very familiar with the actor, the, the very famous and introducing role uh, credit, um, usually it would be at the end, but we typically now think of that as like kids, but it, it, did, it wasn't always. Like Peter O'Toole got an, an introducing Peter O'Toole for Lawrence of Arabia. Interesting. Just because yeah. he wasn't huge. With the kids, I guess that, yeah, it's usually like some fresh-faced new youth that they're in introducing this potential amazing new talent for the future. Right, and introducing uh, Anna Paquin and the piano, sure. for instance. Uh, so that's the the order. Then there's the size. Um, if, you, if you're on, if you have equal billing, is what they call it, if you like, uh, I can't think of a recent example, but... Where, where two big stars are in the same movie. What you about might, Nicolas Cage and John Travolta in Face Off? That might be a pretty good example, actually. I think so. At the time. Um, they may be on screen. They may fight to be get equal billing, which means they're on the screen at the same time. But it goes <laughs> – then there's still a thing where it goes of importance from left to right. So if you're the bigger star, you'll be on the left. If it is truly equal billing – and this hasn't happened much – but uh, this one website I went to gave the example of uh, 1974's Towering Inferno with Steve McQueen and Paul Newman, two of the biggest stars in the world, for sure equal billing. They were on screen at the same time, but I guarantee you, I don't know how much Newman really cared, but his agents at least cared um, about the left to right thing because mm. McQueen was on the left. So what they did was they offset it. They put McQueen on the left, Newman on the right, but Newman's was a little bit higher so it was offset, left to right, high and low and high. Yeah, so it's like not something any <laughs> normal mortal would notice, but it's they so noticed. silly though, you know. It's like, oh, I'm on the right side. Well, make me an inch higher on the screen, yeah. or well, not an inch, whatever. several feet or whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. an inch on your TV screen. Um, but it's so interesting how they just fight for this positioning. It makes my brain hurt, dude. Just the idea of wrangling all of these like egos. Oh man, and and you know the agents are all involved, and um, you know now they call it like well above the line and below the line is generally like uh, crew uh, crew members, like an above the line crew members, like the writer, director, producer. That maybe everybody that's above the line. 
and below the line. Cinematographer, maybe? Or? Um, I think so. Mm. I'm not positive. And then I know, I can't remember when it was. I think in the 90s, uh, if you watch movies uh, pre that, the producer, uh, producerial credit would be second to last. So it would go writer, producer, director. And then the WGA fought really hard and won to go producer, then writer, then director for the pre, uh, pre-film pre credits. And it was a big deal. Yeah, man. That's awesome. I hope one day we can uh, demystify those crazy initials that go after certain uh, certain crew members. You know what I'm talking about? Where it's like so-and-so, cinematographer, S-T-W-C-T-F, oh, you know, yeah. whatever. Th- those I, are the unions. Yeah. yeah. I, I want to know more. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll tackle that one. And then finally, though, uh, we will finish up with this little note. There is uh, the final um, – uh, and or with credit, if you're a big name, but you have a small part at the end of a movie, it might say, you know, it'll list all the actors and then it'll say with Samuel L. Jackson at the end. And just that little with is like, all right, I'm going to go at the end. And that is a revered special position because of the word with or and. <laughs> Interesting. So it's almost like a cameo, but like a beloved high level actor that kind of does a small part. They get that with. Yeah, and I think they call it an and as credit uh, because sometimes it'll say it's right, their role, their name. Samuel Jackson as so and so. Yep. Man, the egos. No joke, dude. Very interesting. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. 
Papertarians know that it's the smart choice too, because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource, and paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. All right, so we're going to move on now to segment two, recommended viewing, uh, where I recommend a documentary, a foreign film, and an indie. Uh, the documentary I'm going to recommend is Hero Dreams of Sushi. You seen it? I have not seen it. Um, I love sushi, and I have been told I should watch this movie, that it, it's, it makes you want to eat all the sushi. <laughs> Man, it really makes you want to eat sushi. In fact, I would say the ideal for Hero Dreams of Sushi is to order takeout sushi, even though takeout sushi is not nearly as good as in-restaurant sushi. But you can't watch a movie in a restaurant. And this guy's sushi apparently puts all of that stuff you just described to utter shame because this is like sushi as high art kind of, right? Yeah, so it's from uh, about seven years ago, 2011, directed by David Gelb. And the movie follows uh, Hiro Ono. He's now 92 years old, sushi master. And he owns a restaurant called Suki, uh, Suki Yabashi Hiro. And it is a Michelin three-star that is in a uh, Tokyo subway station. It has 10 seats. That's it. And it serves one thing. You don't order from a menu. You go in, you order his 20-course tasting menu, and it's like 300 and something dollars now, I think, American, uh, for the sushi meal. And in the movie, it's not just about sushi, although that's obviously a huge part of it. Um, what's really kind of compelling about it is it it tells the story of his family and his sons, um, which is really interesting because he has the one son. They're both sushi chefs, obviously. Uh, but his one younger son left the restaurant and basically kind of copied his dad's restaurant in another city. And then his other son, uh, the the eldest son, he is going to be like the successor, so he was sort of obliged to stay and kind of just keep working at his father's side. So it was sort of poor form that the one son took off and copied the, the formula? You know, I mean, I saw this a few years ago. I don't remember if it was poor form. I don't think it was like, hey, he ripped me off, so I'm disowning him or anything like that. But I, there was, I think there was definitely a sense of um, the one son feeling beholden to the father and staying there yeah. to take over the restaurant. By the way, this style of sushi dining is called omakase, which means I'll leave it up to you. Right. Yeah. Which is uh, my buddy Ben Acker, who's been on the show. Every time we go to L.A., every time I go to L.A. and I, I go to, out to eat sushi with Ben, which is almost all the time, uh, Ben will do that. He'll just go in and and he will say, what is it? Omakase. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he will, and they just bring in to him one piece at a time. Great sushi in L.A. And he, uh, man, man. Well, the great sushi in L.A. is... The sushi in a, uh, in a in a strip mall with like an accountant and a laundromat oh, yeah. next door. Of course, yeah, <laughs> it's really great. I mean, there are some really super nice restaurants too, but that's the great thing about Los Angeles is literally the strip mall sushi on Hollywood Boulevard can be some of the best stuff you've ever had. And we, you know, here in Atlanta, we have something akin to that with Buford Highway, where there's a lot of, like, weird little strip sure. malls with great taquerias yeah. and Korean barbecue. And so we're very lucky in that respect here. Well, in Atlanta, that's where a, a lot of the immigrant population lived and moved. Yeah. So the food is awesome. <laughs> like, Vietnamese, uh, 
Middle Eastern, mm-hmm. Chinese, yep. Japanese. What else? It's got it all. Mexican. Oh, oh yeah, good yeah, Mexican for sure. Food. Yeah, and but also like Salvadorian and like all the little offshoots and you know whatever you want. Yeah, it's Ethiopian. Pretty... You can really find mm-hmm. anything yep. over there. So travel advice: come to Atlanta, head on over to Buford Highway. Doesn't look like much, but man, the food's good. Uh, all right, foreign film. Um, Itu Mama Tambien. I have seen this one. Yeah, 2001. Um, kind of one of the the great foreign films of the 2000s. Uh, Mexican movie uh, directed by uh, the great Alfonso uh, Cuaron. Of Harry Potter fame. Right, which I you know, <laughs> know nothing about. He directed some of those, all right? He did one. Yeah, okay. Yeah, one of them. Uh, Prisoner of Alcatraz? Azkaban. Okay. Close. <laughs> Same diff. Uh, co-written by he and his brother Carlos, and this is a really great film. It's, it's a coming-of-age story. Um, it's about these two teenage boys who take a, a road trip. It's a road trip movie, which is always great. Uh, with a woman who is older, uh, older meaning like late 20s to their late teens. Um, and this is the first time I had seen uh, the actors Diego Luna and Gail Garcia Bernal, um, who are great, um, have man crushes on both those dudes. And then uh, Spanish actress uh, Maribel Verdu uh, plays the, the woman in her 20s who, uh, you know, they go on this road trip. They have a lot of fun. They don't really know each other. Um, it's not like they're like the three oldest friends. The guys are friends. The movie is a very um, – how do you – what do you say? How do you say sexual without – Hedonistic kind of? Well, oh, well, there is – you're right. Exactly. There is that vibe where – There's a word. She's sort of – Erotic? But that seems even creepier. Yeah, I don't know, man. <laughs> I, all, all I know is the, 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 the dynamic. There's like a power dynamic that's set up because she's sort of this like – older, wiser sure. figure, and then there are these, like, young boys, and so there's the sense that maybe experience. she's taking advantage of them a little bit. Uh, right. But also, it's not like she's in her 40s, so it's, right. I don't know. Yeah, but, I mean, they, you know, they're obviously all attracted to one another. Uh, I don't want to ruin the movie, but mm-hmm. it, it culminates in in some uh, uh, very... Uh, very good sexy time. Very steamy. <laughs> steamy. Steamy. That's the word I was looking for. And we are like a couple of kids in here. We're having a hard time. I'm, I'm blushing. <laughs> I'm blushing. Yeah. No, it's, 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 a, it's a very powerful movie, but it is. Um, it does lean pretty heavily on the um, sexual tension and that kind of stuff. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And the end of the movie is just so good and, and, and tragic and sad. Um, and that's all I'll say about the ending. Highly, highly recommended. The guy went on to do uh, Quran Children of Men, which is like taught in film schools to this day yeah, for all the crazy camera work. And he kind Good of movie. like came up with all these crazy rigs, which is interesting for this this kind of simple um, coming of age road movie. Yeah. For him to go from this to like this sci-fi kind mm-hmm. of masterpiece, you know. Yeah. Children of Men. What a what a rocking good fun time that was. <laughs> Talk about a downer of a movie. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, we're going to finish up with an indie. Um, I didn't want to overthink this one, as I always say. So I just kind of went with one of my old, old favorites, uh, Sex, Lies, and Videotape. I've seen this movie many times and will watch it every couple of years. Um, 1989, independent drama. Um, puts Steven Soderbergh on the map. Um, I, I believe it was his first movie. I think it had to be his first movie. I didn't look that up, but I think so. And the plot is a, about a man who videotapes women discussing, and not surreptitiously, he interviews women about their sex lives, um, very frankly, and their sexuality. 
and he uh, he rolls into town as James Spader uh, into uh, Louisiana, kind of a kind of a sleepy Louisiana town. I don't think it's New Orleans, although it may be, and but it's not prominent. And he rolls into town and um, stays at the house of his old college buddy, uh, played by Peter Gallagher, who it was the first time I had seen any of these actors, I, I believe. Um, it's the first time I was aware of them, at least. And they were like old frat buddies, and Peter Gallagher's still sort of in that mode. He's a kind of a, a douchey businessman. And James Spader is now just very um, intense and brooding and has not gone the way of, of his old college friend. Uh, Andy McDowell plays uh, Anne and Bishop Mullaney, Peter Gallagher's wife. They have a very strained marriage. And Peter Gallagher is having an affair with her sister. Um, with a great performance by uh, Laura San Giacomo as Cynthia. So he's cheating with with his wife's sister. Um, it is uh, Andy McDowell is, is all of a sudden attracted to James Spader. And um, it's just a very kind of slow, intense uh, fire of a movie, this slow burn of a movie. Really, really great. It won the, the Palme d'Or at Door. Yeah, I think that's that's uh, Dior. A, a, an appropriate Americanized pronunciation. <laughs> What's what would be the? I French? think Dior, but Dior. Dior I, I hear Palm Dior all the time. You just kind of just just, just say it fast, just say it real fast, and yeah. confidently. Exactly, that's the key. <laughs> Which is the opposite of what I just did. It's fine. The uh, the Palmy Dior at uh, just lean into it, Chuck. At the Canis Film yes, Festival yes. <laughs> at Cannes, it won the big the big award. So man, if Casey Pegram was in here right now, he would be. Is it Pegram? Pegram. I thought I said Pegram. Pegram. Jeez, no. Learn something new every day. <laughs> I'm losing it. So, uh, hugely influential uh, independent film. Really kind of kick-started the, the independent film movement of the 90s um, and certainly Soderbergh's career. Uh, and he, he went on to be one of my, still one of my favorite filmmakers. How would you describe the aesthetic of the movie? I mean, it's pretty simple. I mean, it's not very flashily no, shot or edited. It's, not at all. Yeah, and that's... Sort of been a mainstay for him, but, you know, his stories, I think, got more and more complex, but he still yeah. is very matter-of-fact about the way he makes a film. And I yeah. think that's interesting about Soderbergh. He got into the heist thing hard. Real hard. I mean, he, he did, I think his second movie, actually, The Underneath, was a heist movie. Great, great film with Peter Gallagher and uh, Elizabeth Shue. So if you haven't seen that early, Soderbergh, I recommend that. And then, of course, all the Oceans movies and then this most recent, uh, what was the one about the, robbing the NASCAR track? Oh, Logan Lucky? Yeah. I watched that on a plane. It was fun. I watched it on a plane, too. Yeah. It's a great plane movie. It really is. <laughs> yeah. Not not great. It's sort of like a redneck Oceans movie. Yeah, I've of. heard it called Oceans 7-Eleven. That's funny. Yeah, that is funny. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to 
to bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. All right, and we're going to finish up with comment card, the mail section. I asked you all on Facebook for Noel and Chuck movie questions, and here we go with uh, Megan Carroll. And Megan, by the way, I've seen a bunch of your comments. You and I are living – I told you on Facebook, we're parking our cars in the same garage. Really like your comments. She says, what is the best movie you've seen that you never wanted to see again? So in other words, well, it could be whatever, but I generally think of this as like good movie, but man, once is enough. Too much. You got one? Or you want to think about it? Oh, I've got I've got one easily. Yeah, what's Re- that? Re- Requiem for a Dream. I, I saw that a few times, dude. Yeah, I did too when I was younger and more nihilistic. But as right. I've gotten older and you can't you know, see it again, I can't do it. I just yeah, yeah. That uh, that one scene, man, with the shot. Whew. Or the one sequence. Yeah. Where everything is just going. Everything bad happens for everyone. Out of control, man. The Ellen Burstyn character is the one that really gets oh, God, me because she, was good. My, she reminds me of my mom. She's oh, a very like diva-ish kind of intense person and she lives alone and just, just that, the, I, that's the thing. Things get too real, man. Yeah. I'm seeing, you know, yeah. the way things fall apart and I don't like it. She was so good in that. Amazing. Uh, I'm going to just throw Schindler's List on there because that's sort of an obvious one. I don't know a lot of people that are like, yeah, it's all that four times. Great date movie. <laughs> I imagine so. Uh, Dance in the Dark, for sure. Uh, and then recently, The Revenant. I really enjoyed that movie, but I had no desire to see that one again. Well, it's like an endurance match, you yeah, know? It's it just like, oh, I'm done. I'm exhausted. Yeah. I need a nap. It was very much exhausting. Uh, all right. Number two, Gracie Ann. Which is better, Terminator or Terminator 2? 
think this is one of those rare cases where the sequel's better, but it's a hotly debated topic in the action movie nerd world. Um, I'm going to go ahead and go on record and say T2 uh, because it just feels like Terminator 1 is great, but is feels a little dated now. And T2 really still kind of holds up. Oh, big time. Yeah. I watched Terminator, the first one recently, and the effects, like when he's cutting his eye out and stuff, and <laughs> yeah, it, it's just, it looks like tr- it looks like shit. It's kind of corny <laughs> it's, looking it's, now. It's not That's good. true. And, um, but it, you can appreciate it for its time. Oh, big time. I also felt like in the first one, there was a lot less depth of character and a lot fewer characters. It was a very yeah. like, kind of a bottle movie almost. Uh-huh. And in the second one, there was just a lot more. Like stuff going on, yeah. You know, a lot more motivation, a lot of a lot of different things happening, layered kind of nuanced stuff. I really like T two a lot. Yeah, and even the um, uh, the the, the who was it? Was it Robert Patrick? Was that Robert Patrick? Yeah. His his character with the uh, with the the this made of the silver flowing mm-hmm. goo, mm-hmm. like that still looks pretty good. Yeah, you know. I saw it not yeah. too long ago. No, I know. And I, I guess he was sort of, uh, James Cameron was jumping off of the special effects that he and his team kind of really, you know, put themselves on the map with the abyss and that whole blob of. Yeah, he's kind of know, made of the He kind of had that, you know, already. He's like, <laughs> yeah. well, how can we use this? We already came up with this. But <laughs> it, we, it worked. What it, can we do with this goop? It really worked. All right. Great question. So that's where we, we, we go with T2. Uh, Lauren Hanks, what movie do you most want to share with your child? Um, and how old will they have to be before that can happen? So, Noel, your daughter is uh, eight? Nine. Nine. Mm-hmm. So you're already doing this. I am, yeah. What movie was, what was the first one you really wanted to show her that you showed her? Uh, I mean, I, I definitely haven't been able to get into any of the more adult movies that I would like to show, like a, a pal, you know, the kind of thing you would want to show like a friend who hadn't seen it, you know? Like Requiem for a Dream? Yeah, exactly. You haven't yeah, shown her Schindler's that List. No, we're, we're waiting <laughs> on that till her 16th birthday. Um, but I did, we did go see Isle of Dogs. Not that that's like a movie that I'm, you know, it's a new movie. Yeah. But it's a, it's a, it's a, I like Wes Anderson very much, and I really wanted her to appreciate the Wes Anderson-iness of sure, it. Sure, just introduce than, to that world. Yeah, other yeah. than it just being like a, a badass stop-motion film, which she she loves like Nightmare Before Christmas. That was a big one. I uh-huh. wanted to show her Nightmare Before Christmas, and then I did, and she loved it. Yeah. Um, but the fact that she laughed a lot during Isle of Dogs really made me feel good because yeah. it's a pretty dark movie, uh-huh. but she got the humor of it, and that nice. made me feel, okay, like we're we're on the right track. That's great. Uh, for Ruby, I would say, um, you know, the classics like The Goonies, uh, E.T., um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, certainly the Star Wars movies, like the movies that meant the most to me as a kid, for sure. Like The Goonies, that's way up there. I cannot wait to show her that movie. We watched The Goonies. She liked it a lot, but I forgot how raunchy it is. Yeah, that was back when PG, there was a sliding scale. Really? Yeah, there's a lot of... uh, I think it was pre-PG-13. A lot of language. Yeah, you can have some stuff in there. But she liked it. She's My kid has also gotten to a place where she understands all the curse words, but she knows she's not, she can't say them. Yeah. And she censors, like when she hears the song and there's a bad word in it, she'll like kind of tune it out. Right. So she, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? It's just words. Oh, big time. At yeah. the end of the day, if if my daughter is the one that curses in the third grade, uh, I'm not too worried about so that. So be it. <laughs> it's not a big deal. Lillian Rolf says, has watching movies changed for you after becoming a parent? Are there genres that are more troublesome? Well, for sure. I mean, in any stuff involving kids 
uh, in harm's way is, I mean, that's, uh, that's, that was tough before just as a, a, a living, breathing human with a soul. I think that's troubling to see on screen, but once you have a kid for sure, it really is just devastating to see stuff like that. Um, very, very tough to watch things like that. So yeah, movies have changed for me a bit. You? It's just the same thing. It's, I've just got a lot more anxiety and, mm-hmm. and things on my mind. And yeah. so I, I gravitate away from sometimes the real heavy stuff. I want I want to be transported to somewhere where I can, you know, forget about all those crazy responsibilities. Have, you know? I'm with you. All right. And final question here from Simon Workman. Simon's uh, very involved with us on Facebook. So I appreciate that. I know Simon as a human person. We had, uh, I think I said this before, we had dinner with Simon in Ohio. That's right. We went through with the car stuff guys. That's right. He's a lovely dude. Simon is, uh, man, you're getting a lot of press, buddy. Need to take advantage of that. What is your favorite Monty Python film and why? You got an answer? Mine's meaning of life because it's Ooh. just like all over the place and it, it gives, it's got a nice variety. Uh, I know that's probably not the most popular one for most. Um, the obvious answer is Holy Grail because it's, it's perfect and yeah. amazing, but I just really love meaning of life. Yeah, I mean, I want to, I want to say Life of Brian, but it's Holy Grail. I mean, it is it is just joke for joke, pound for pound, minute to minute, one of the funniest movies ever made. It's amazing. And it holds up on repeat viewings so And you solidly. notice stuff every time mm-hmm. that you never notice. Life of Brian's right behind it. I really, really love that film. But uh, yeah, Holy Grail just doesn't get any better. You almost might say Holy Grail is the Holy Grail. Yeah, of, of, of comedy. Of, yeah, <laughs> I mean, really, of comedy. It's just, and it's it it it, it is the perfect satire too, because it it just it's so self aware. Yeah, it's got all this great meta stuff where uh-huh. it's like you know the the crew appears and like you know like you know they they recognize they're making a film. And yeah, so it's, silly. Oh, I love it. I love it. Makes great. me happy. All right, that's it for this mini crush. Thanks, bud. Yeah, man, it's a good one. All right, so your homework for this week, everybody, is to watch the movie Rumblefish. Uh, I've had some some singers and songwriters in here, but I've got my first drummer coming in, uh, Mr. John Convertino, one of my favorite groups, Calexico, is coming in today. He's stopping through on tour and was super nice to agree to do this after a late-night performance last night at Preservation Hall in New Orleans, and uh, they're swinging by in the tour bus, dropping him off. And we're going to sit and talk about Rumblefish, which uh, which I got to watch last night again. Uh, first time I'd seen it in a long time. And scored by Stuart Copeland, which I think sneakily is why uh, John as a drummer might have picked this thing out. But a really good movie. Very interesting artsy film. So give that a watch from the great Francis Ford Coppola. And thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. Say goodbye, Noel. All right. Noel's not talking. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually 
in person and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.